right, I'm here with a surprise guest. Do you count as a guest? A returning host once a year. And normally, normally, I say for the last two years, we've done a kind of review of the first half of the season, but I think we're just going to do the Forest game this time. Yeah. Because, in fact, it's a microcosm of our season. It'd be very difficult to find anything to say about the season that you couldn't already say or couldn't also say about this Forest game. The only thing really is we didn't have Anana chucking one in his own net. We had poor attacking, a completely incoherent midfield, tactics were a mess, substitutes were awful, we couldn't defend, but at least Andre didn't let one in. Well, didn't let one in through his legs. Yeah, didn't let one in that you wouldn't expect it would be reasonable for a goalkeeper to let in. Yeah, Marcus Rashford scored, which is different to the rest of the season, to be fair. <laughs> that, that is... A very nice finish for him as well. Brilliant. Just very nice finish generally, but for him this season when he's been so bereft of confidence. So So I got a message at about midday, which God knows what that time was your time, by the way, Ed. You're doing admin at 3am or whatever. And it was was from Ed and it said, are you planning to watch the Forest game later? And I was like, yeah, because that... I was kind of half planning to maybe watch a bit of it to see if it was any good and then, like the rest of the season, probably turn it off after about 20 minutes going, oh, no, this is the same. But you were like, no, we should talk about it. I was like, okay, then let's do that. <laughs> so because of you, I spent the the full close to two hours watching. Sorry. that. Uh, no, I mean, you know, listen, it's lovely to be here talking to you about it. It won't. By the way, how how are you? It's how has the year been since we last talked on this podcast? <laughs> what I was going to say is, it's not lovely to be here talking to you about it. It's just lovely to be here talking to you. <laughs> yeah, all good. Uh, we did one at the end of the season, right? I feel like yeah. we did. We did an end of the season one, but yeah. that's a long time ago now. It is, and I definitely didn't do any. I wasn't around for a preview or anything before the season started. We haven't talked about transfers or anything. Yeah, I'm good, man. Like all good. Life is good. I only watch United when I want to. Such an incredible luxury after all these years of being forced to not only yeah. watch. Yeah, exactly. Being forced to by your friends to talk about it on the internet. Um, yeah. How are you? All good. Yeah. I mean, fairly quiet Christmas and not sure we have any real mega plans for New Year's. Did you do exciting birthday things for anyone in the family, given they were all in the in the same window? Went out, hit some bars, got some fried chicken yesterday. Exciting stuff. <laughs> boo. Boo. I feel obliged to say boo on, on behalf of my public image. <laughs> um, <laughs> great. It's been lovely Christmas here. I had a Christmas tree, like an actual real Christmas tree. And for many years, everyone's said, oh, it's such a pain because they drop all the needles and whatever. I've always had one. I'm like, they're fine. Like, yeah, they drop a few needles or whatever. But this one, this year... In moving it from the inside of the house to the outside of the house, it shed, and I. this is not an exaggeration, a third of its needles on the way out. It, it was, if you walked past it, looked at it funny, it was dropping needles on the floor. I am more pine needle than man at this point. So, yeah, that's been my Christmas. But otherwise, I love Christmas. Has that tree been anywhere near Carrington? You just look at it and it gets injured, right? <laughs> so I watched the second half of the Villa game the other day and you're just thinking like Garnacho, Rashford, Hoyland 
is this something? This might be something, especially if McTominay's not in the team behind them. And there's like some actual, and Anthony, that means Anthony's not playing. So you're like, oh, this might be all right. And then of course, yeah, no, sorry. You can't have nice things. You can't have, you can have Kobe Mayno for 60 minutes. That's it. Yeah, not even that today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So maybe we should talk about some of the game and it seemed to turn. I don't know about you. I don't want to simplify things too much, but it seemed to turn with Eric looking at that first half going, you know what we're really, really missing here? What we're really missing is Scott McTominay. I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary. You don't, you almost, you don't want to be like reductive about it, obviously, but you really hope, I mean, obviously you don't hope this, but you, you hope it's for injury reasons that he's taken off Manu because if he took him off because he thought this will make things better tactically, then sooner he's on, you know, the sooner old Jim Ratcliffe gets his 25% stake and says, sorry, Eric, this is enough to sack you, the better. Cause that's a, that's a really weird decision. I mean, he loves McTominay, right? He's yet another United manager with a slightly bad attitude who absolutely loves Scott McTominay. I, I mean, it's just incomprehensible. I just, not just the substitute, just this love of Scott McTominay. I don't, I don't want to take pile on the guy. I mean, he seems a perfectly reasonable bloke, right? And, and he's a good, honest pro and all of that, except like, He's just not honest with all the technical stuff. So I haven't checked out his number of passes because it's getting boring, but I'm going to bet it's not many. Um, prob- I mean, definitely sub 20. I will look at at some point during this podcast, but it's just the defending. I mean, he is responsible for two goals. Not, not entirely him, but if your defensive midfielder and that's where he's come on to play covers the edge of the box, those two goals aren't scored. Well, I was going to say. That there's a kind of this isn't just well nobody nobody knows my agendas everyone's forgotten <laughs> they're they're all about Wayne Rooney and he's now the manager of Birmingham City and I have no feelings about that so it's fine but like both goals Manu would have been there or thereabouts right like it, most likely I mean the second one in particular is on the counter attack the team is very disjointed and they're pushing for the win which is a good thing you want that. And the defence dropped very, very deep in a line uh, in a way, funnily enough, as Gary Neville was relentlessly pointing out, they didn't for the first goal. But yeah, both goals coming from that kind of half uncertain, like, are this is this supposed to be the centre-back or the cent- central midfielder? Well, Bainu, in his very young career, has been really good at picking up those spots. So, yep. I mean, I know he was kind of responsible for one of the goals, one of the Villa goals, wasn't yeah, yeah. he? But he's been an absolute ray of light in a particularly kind of appalling period of United history. Well, it's not an original thought, and I uh, did put this into the Rankcast OG's WhatsApp group, but I didn't half think of that Wayne Rooney interview on Toffee TV where he says, I'd grown up idolising Big Dunk and all these players, and I got on the pitch with them and I realised these lot of crap. <laughs> That's Kobe mainly coming into the United side, isn't it? Uh, everything's just so easy yeah. for him. Uh, yeah, man. I, I mean, looks- I haven't seen the post-match interview, so I don't know if Eric has said anything. So I'm saying this without the the knowledge of that. But um, yeah, absolutely baffling. And it's just been it's been such a tough season on the injury front, of which some blame may or may not be put onto. Ten Hag and his training regime and the new sports science head and all of that because it's unusual to get so many and possibly another two today with Rashford and Anthony. Rashford 
rubbing his groin vigorously and uh, Anthony feeling the back of his thigh, you know, so might have another two. Um, but it's been a really tough season for Eric from that point of view, but it's kind of exposed, I think, some of his limitations. You know, he seems to have these weird blind spots. Scott McTominay being one of them, but not the only one. Um, the insistence on building up from the back sometimes, which they do, and then they do it very poorly and then just launch it long anyway. And it's like repeat, rinse and repeat on that one, which seems very, very odd. I like the way it's, I like the way it's called building up from the back when it's like, no, it's exchanging three passes among the centre backs and the goalkeeper and then, and then it going wrong. Like that's, well, yeah, hoofing it at best or giving the ball away. I well. mean, it really felt today like all the goals were going to come from both teams. Like the goals were going to come from that. And our goal did come from that, obviously. It did. It but did. yeah, I mean, they're just, they are just not good at, I mean, they're just not good. And, it, and it's interesting sort of because genuinely, I have watched much less United this season because it's been so joyless and because of like not having to think of things to say about it, I've just kind of chosen to do other things instead a lot of the time. And it's been a particularly busy year anyway so far. So for a whole variety of reasons, I've hardly watched them. And every time I do, it's just that it does feel like Groundhog Day. Like you're just dipping into the same movie that you've seen before. The vibes aren't right. Like, I don't even mean that in terms of the collective mood in the camp or whatever. It, it's like the tactical vibes aren't right. The ball doesn't come to the right person in the right place nearly often enough. The no, final right. ball is just off. It bobbles just wrong. Uh, it ends up with Anthony in space or today a couple of times. And I think he's, his redemption's been great to see. And he's, a, he's clearly a very fine player. But the ball came out to Wan-Bissaka on the edge of the box two or three times and you're like oh almost anyone else in the side would have had a really good sight at goal at, at this point but that's obviously not his skill set to be <laughs> i mean you know if he could tackle the ball into the goal that'd be great but so it, it's it's just that feeling that they're just about to give the ball away at any given moment yeah yeah that's that's, that's what it's like watching them in a, on a kind of casual basis basically yeah, I mean, it, you don't half feel like getting all Dave Moy's reductive tweet over this and saying the passing wasn't good, the defending wasn't good, the attacking wasn't good. <laughs> Apart from that, it was all great. And yeah, United need to improve in a number of areas, right? Like, yeah, and that was still, ten years old this Christmas. That still, tweet, ten years old. Have we improved in any of those areas? <laughs> <laughs> some, some tactic somewhere. Well, her point out that we haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is it is pretty depressing that United had five shots on target today, uh, and I was trying to add them up. Wanbazaka had one, Diallo had one. They were both weak as fuck. Did did anyone else have a shot? Who else had a shot on target? Well, Rashford had one for the goal, which was a nice one. Yeah, Garnacho second half. Did he? I can't remember. It's like hardly Ericsson? any. Eric- was that the, the Ericsson one that was saved that led to the counter attack? Right, right. That, that was yeah, right. You know, the, like uh, talking of coherence in the side, the only thing that really has been successful this season, it's only partially, is the, the number of the pressing and the high wins. United, before this game and coming into the game, having won the ball something like 190 times high in the, so the, the our attacking third, their defensive third. And it led to 36 shots and zero goals. Now, today it led to a goal. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's the first this season from the high wins. And so that's one thing that's sort of been working, but it's a tactic that has led to 
a lot of ball possession and a lot of shots and not very many goals. And you just kind of wonder, well, is, is that the right thing? And at the same time, with United pressing those three players forward to win the ball at the pitch, they've been leaving gaps in midfield through which teams have over and over again just run run through and put pressure on like a pretty disorganised back four. So it's... You know, t- to go back to the Villa game, which I wish is the one that we decided to do this for because that would have been a lot more fun. That first 10 minutes, United were doing exactly that in a really like, in a way that just looked like an absolute nightmare to play against because you think... Old Trafford properly rocking, Boxing Day night, they're just at you and at you and at you. And and as lots of people have said, United didn't feel out of it at 2-0. They felt out of it at 0-0 in this game. They felt out of it at one all. It's weird. It was like, I kind of thought United, I'd, that's not true. I did think United would win when Rashford scored. I actually did think that for a very short period of time. And then it was like, oh, no, of course, no, actually, what's going to happen is Forrester going to get what they, I guess, kind of deserved-ish. I don't know. And they got a lot of praise on the English television coverage. And it felt like they didn't have to be very good. They just had to avoid calamitous errors, which they did apart from once, um, and take advantage of their first goal was very good. And Gibbs White's finish was Excellent for the second goal. Awesome. Mm. Fantastic finish. Um, although he should have been sent off. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Clearly. Shall we do a diversion Absolutely. into this? Michael Oliver last yeah, week. Yeah, let's do it. Made up the rule that for one piece of dissent, you can get two yellow cards. Just completely made up that rule. Previously, Michael Oliver had made up the rule that you can punish one player for a team set of fouls under Herrera, a rule that has never been before or since used. And no one, I don't think, has got two cards for the same piece of descent as as Dallow did last week. And gives White clattered into three players and then argued with the ref and managed to get himself one card. The, the thing is, he did exactly what Dallow did, yeah. which is go completely mad and then go mad again when the yellow card comes out, yeah. thus making it two separate acts of descent. The thing that's amazing about this is I'm almost sure, and I don't know this for sure, but I'm almost sure that Diego Tallo then got booked for complaining that Gibbs White wasn't sent off when he, he had previously been. It's glorious. That's a great combination. I mean, pile of salt, big gaping wound, Reverie rubbed it in. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, like, it's, yeah. every, every, every set of fans thinks the ref's against them. It's just sometimes maybe they are out to get you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the Herrera one which we talked a lot about at the time. You can go back to the archives and find that if you want to. So it was very, yeah, there was a long, I ended up in a long discussion with a, let's just say friend of the show about that afterwards, who was extremely insistent that the referee was within his rights. Something that has happened neither before nor since. <laughs> yes. Anyway, well, that was against Chelsea, right? That was when everyone was kicking Eden Hazard. Yes, I think so. Yeah. They uh, were rotating fouls on Hazard, yeah. and, yeah. and Herrera was just like picked at random out of a hat. Well, the, the two people who think that was the right call are Dermot Gallagher now in the Sky Sports studio, and that particular friend of the show, whose name we shall not name, and you don't need to tell me because I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Obviously, it could, <laughs> there could only be one. Everyone's allowed an opinion, and they're all valid. Yeah. Well, 
I mean, they're not, are they? Well, if, if 21st century life has taught us nothing else, it's that not every opinion is equally valid. <laughs> um, anyway, the, the I think it'd be very hard to construct an argument to say that Eric Ten Hag is doing a really good job of being Man United manager. From the outside looking in at the discourse, which I really genuinely participate in mostly with you, that's like the extent of my United conversations mostly, it seems to me that there is this kind of view that like nobody could do any better with this mob, which I feel like we as fans surely have a very specific, relatively recent piece of evidence that suggests actually you bring the right vibesman in and we're going to win the next three games 5-1 with exactly the same players. Like If I recall correctly, <laughs> there are a lot of people saying, oh, what could Mourinho possibly be doing? And then Sasha came and won and everyone was extreme, came in and everyone was jolly for three months. Now, is this a long-term solution? No, but it's more than a marginal gain, Dave Brailsford. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is <laughs> give it Ollie till the end of the season. That's the move right now. Yeah, I mean... It couldn't be worse, could it? <laughs> you know, right. if you want just... No, it would, it would be better. Like, that's the thing. I'm not, this is, like, I, I'm not saying they should do it because obviously then you get into the sticky situation of what do you do with him after he's outlasted the good vibes? Um, but it would, he would get way more points than Ten Hag between now and the end of the season. Or you send him to Saudi Arabia to manage uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, <laughs> don't you? Oh yeah. dear. Uh, poor Ollie. Yeah, I mean, look, the thing is, you took, this mob, quote unquote, and you took them to second, and then you added another four hundred million pounds worth of players, and now we're down in eighth or seventh. Well, seventh. No. No, to be fair, seventh. It'll be eighth after Brighton and Newcastle win this weekend. Yeah. You, uh, there's one very important correction there. You spent four hundred million pounds on players. You did not buy four hundred million pounds worth of players. <laughs> very, very different figures. No, and there's more than a marginal gain to be made in assessing exactly how it is United have gone after these i mean again broken record but how exactly have united spent so much money and adam crafton did a very good piece in the athletic you may have read last week sort of breaking down the machinations at united and, and it's just like absolutely true and it's not like you can go point to murta and go all his fault it's it's how they've structured the club and the decision making processes and the fact just for an example anthony who the scouting department valued at about twenty-five million on their list, and United managed to pay more than three times as much for him. And that has knock-on effects because now we're absolutely broke. And the knock-on effect last season is we had to get Sabitzer and Veghorst into the team, who are both absolutely rubbish. And the knock-on effect this season has been to get Amrabat into the team, and he's rubbish as well. And and it does have an effect. Like it's not my money. I don't care. It's Big Sir Jim's now, but it, it's he's like his career in business has absolutely not been marked by wasting money. In fact, he takes toxic assets, combines them together to be more than the value of, of their parts. And, and this team and squad is much, much less than the value, the supposed market value of its parts. Uh, Generates a few toxic assets of his own, though, doesn't he? Eh? Oh, quite eh? literally. Quite eh? literally. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm back, baby. <laughs> um, so the thing about that, that Laurie Whitwell article with the that, that breakdown, me and you talked about the Anthony signing and it, it is very reductive. But if you look at his numbers of goals and assists in the Eredivisie, where Memphis Depay, fine player that he is, was banging him in from all angles 
where the quality of defending is genuinely not great, it, it, to not be getting big numbers in a title-winning side in the Eredivisie and to come to England for 80, 90-odd million, I mean, that is just baffling. I mean, it is. And, and he bought Mount too, who is just Anthony again, right? Like, for huge... Huge money. I, mean, I bet Chelsea. Well, I was going to say they couldn't believe their luck. It's obviously luck they didn't need, given they could have just sold Mount to Saudi Arabia like everyone else. But you know the just the idea that another Premier League is going to come in and take this guy off your hands for that kind of money for one Premier League club to sell a player to another Premier League club for that kind of money. You just you're just looking at that deal, going well. This just doesn't pass the smell test, right? No, so um, many of them don't pass the smell test, yeah. And yeah. Chelsea must have been loving it because like, their strategy is to buy young players from abroad on long, very long contracts to amortise it over that period. Now, obviously, that loophole's been closed now. And then to sell academy players where you book all the value straight away. And it looks like they're doing a deal for Colin Gallagher which I'm sure Chelsea fans won't be happy with because he's a very good all-round player, but it it equates to like £300 million of spending. Now, it does catch up with you eventually. It's not magic money. So in the calculations, it will eventually catch up with you, and there's only so many academy players you can sell. Although, to be fair, Chelsea are quite good at finding academy players to sell. Mm, uh, That's our city, and and we are not, you know, and it's all these things that Brailsford and Ineos team will be looking at. And But it filters down into the team, you know, you get a bunch of dross that you're not quite sure what to do with or wanted out and couldn't get out, bring the wrong players in, and and this is what you get. And then you get a manager who, when times were good, seemed to be putting something together. When times have been bad this season, doesn't seem to have the answers and keeps going back to the his one single B plan, which is play Scott McTominay, which mm. I would posit has not worked. Ever. Maybe for those five no, minutes I, at the end of the Brentford game, but that's about it. You know, I remember when Mourinho, in the season they finished, we finished sixth and won the Europa League. And it felt like Mourinho was doing something, right? Because won the Charity Shield and then the Carling Cup. We didn't win either. Of the, neither of those competitions were called that, but it, those are the ones we won. And then we won the UEFA Cup. And then it was, there was a feeling that something was happening. But if you dug into it, nothing was happening, right? Like that, they, we bought Zlatan and he scored loads of goals and that was basically it. Last season, Rashford banging him in, like something decent was happening in the vibes. And and then it did look like, okay, we really need a defensive midfielder. Great, they've bought a defensive midfielder. We needed a new goalkeeper. They bought a new goalkeeper. We need a new striker and Hoyland seemed like a punt. But actually, that feels like the best of all the transfers from the summer at this point. I mean, we'll see. But he looks to me, what do I know? He looks, there looks to be a player in there, as they say. And Somewhere. He, he was... He was so happy. He was so happy. It was it was so nice how happy he was. Mind you, Vegas was really happy when he <laughs> scored too, so maybe that isn't the only metric I should go by. Well, but, yeah. um, to be fair, Hoyland has got six goals this season, which is three times as many as Valt managed. <laughs> so. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, it, the idea that like Champions League goals count less than Premier League goals is pretty crazy, isn't it? But anyway, the the vibes are so far off this season and I listen I I think the way I I, 
I care as much about this stuff as I do about the on-pitch stuff, but I think the way he's handled the off-the-pitch stuff is almost the worst thing about all of it. And I saw United fan after United fan giving him a pass in the summer, saying the club's behaved disgracefully. You can understand Eric wanting a goal scorer of that quality back. I'm like, can you really? Yeah. Uh, there's the stuff with Anthony, which is, is very, like, who knows what's, who knows in the world what anything is and what's happened where, unless you saw it, you don't know, right? But th- there's just this horrible, like, there's an icky quality to some of Ten Hag's decisions and positions on things that, it kind of leaves me a bit disinclined to be super rooting for him anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, lots of United fans feel like that. It's just they, they weren't the majority most vocal. But I, th- I think that's... Yeah, yeah. I don't think sure. everyone's giving him a pass on that. But yeah, it does. It did feel like a bit icky. And quite a lot, actually. The fact that he was just perfectly on board with it and didn't question it for a moment. So be, seemingly so. I mean, he presumably had been given a briefing by the lawyers because he really didn't want to say anything at all publicly and just kept referring to the club's statement. But yeah, I mean, it's contributed to the vibes and the fact that he's so into some players who aren't contributing, some of the others must be looking at it and going, hmm, not sure I buy this. I'm, I'm sure, right? Whatever's happening on the training field that is resulting in so many muscle injuries, two more today by the looks of it, there's got to be, there's got to be something there. I just don't believe it's coincidence. His decision to, I mean, it's the club's decision in the end to give him power over transfers, which is going to end. But his choices of players haven't worked out pretty much all of them. Most of them, anyway, a few have. Mm. Um, and, and so, of course, yeah, it's only fair when you lose 14 games before Christmas, before the New Year, sorry. Uh, that you point at the manager and go, is he doing the right job? And and no one, and you wouldn't expect it on this podcast, but no one is saying, oh, well, this is this is binary as that, right? It's structure no. of the club, it's decisions around transfers in and out, it's ability to pay the right kind of money, it's decisions around like facilities and training and the manager and vibe, all of this shit, all combines into one to make the absolute pile of dung that we see at Old Trafford these days. Yeah, and and you know, even even you know, uh, how many times have one of us said the fish rots from the head on the show? Like, how many times have we talked about the limitations that the managers are under? But the various managers in the Glazer era have done different, have done, haven't they? Haven't all failed in the same way? I would say, like, and they haven't all failed to the same extent, and. There has been a difference at different periods of time in the level of performance that the managers are getting out of the players. Now, this doesn't change the fact that the culture of the club is clearly, and I don't mean the playing staff really, although there's some weird stuff with the culture in the playing staff, I would say. But the culture of the club is clearly a complete, total and utter disaster. The the ownership structure, the decision-making structure. One thing, amazing thing in that article, which I was thought about during the West Ham game, was that it was David Moyes who appointed John Murtaugh. Yeah. Which yeah. Just like a little lasting legacy of the Moyes era in the middle of it all. Just very funny to me that. Jim Ratcliffe, in a way, like he's got a huge job on his hands. But on in the other sense there's so much upside just to 
by streamlining decision-making processes, yeah. right? Like getting all these blockages out of the way. The Mourinho thing where he had to get a, a, approval to have his desk changed. Like some, there were so many, I keep making stupid marginal gains jokes, but like there were so many non-marginal gains to be made in the way that you structure the operating of the football side of the business. Yeah. That's- and I think part of that's why Eric will make it to the end of the season. I mean, Unless he loses another five games next month. I mean, they've lost five in December, which is quite remarkable. Remember how bad it was when Louis lost three in a row around Christmas a few years back, 10 years ago nearly. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Norwich and so whoever it was. Yeah, yeah, it was a, that, that Norwich was, game, that, that remains in a very tightly contested field. That remains the worst United game in the post-Furky era. I maintain that that's the worst one. There's, there's been some crackers. Uh, so, but it's the, the, the change of ownership and what is going to happen to the football structure where they'll, they, like, will have benefited from the fact that Ineos and their, their sports team there have made a lot of mistakes across Lausanne, uh, the club they have in Cote d'Ivoire, I think, uh, I think it's Cote d'Ivoire and the, and obviously Nice, lots and lots of mistakes and, and, and have learned that they need to put in the kind of structure that, most elite clubs around Europe in order to make the kind of right decisions quickly enough. And not going to make them all right, but you can get as many as possible right. Combine that with the, the right coach and United's spending power should have the club in the, the best position, a, a much better position anyway. And so we should be getting the first bit. They could make bad mistakes, but they're going to make them quickly. And I don't think it, they will go, oh, our scouting team says this player's worth 25 mil. He's on our list somewhere of potentials. Are you going to pay 86 mil for him? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. Yeah, yeah. And that would be good if that didn't happen. I mean, I don't have any great faith in the specific individuals that have arrived because they have absolutely no history of success in football. In fact, they have a pretty long legacy of failure in football as do the people that were bidding in their rival position, it should be said, because they've won a lot of league A trophies. Well done, he's 13. Like, it's, you know, it's not difficult to win league A by buying Lionel Messi. I think that on its own will probably do it for you most seasons. <laughs> yeah. They haven't even won it every season, and there's no other club even slightly competing financially. Like, not even nobody in the stratosphere it's not no. like in england where you've got now three clubs i mean i don't know what where, where chelsea's standing is at the moment anyway so it's not like this is a kind of like oh if only qatar had come in with their infinite money and great track record of improving european giants like but the Ineos people like if we were a cycling team you'd be like oh well these these lot seem like they're a good cycling team but they've basically failed repeatedly in the football arena and yeah so but it's just you think all they have to do at united is be reasonably sensible in their decision making and they're onto a huge winner well what what they did do so lausanne they put bob big sir jim's brother in charge which doesn't seem to have worked out very well they're a club they historically have spent a lot of time in the second division, some in the first. They've won a few titles. You know, they're a mixed bag of a club, but they've been relegated and come back up, and now they're in the bottom four or something like that this season. So, 
this is not a great success story. Nice obviously doing very well this season and they did make a lot of changes behind the scenes and and that's what I'm kind of pointing at as potential learnings that they've made. Yeah. But Brailsford, yes, absolutely. To uh, to channel my inner Sunes, as he said this week, is not a football person. Mind you, I would be, just to wind him up, Sunes, I'd be fully in favour of appointing Paul Pogba as director of football. Just uh, <laughs> just Sunes's head would just implode. But but so yes, Brailsford isn't. Jean Claude Blanc is a bit different. And because he has been, he was at Paris Saint-Germain, he was at Juventus. Two great clubs run really well. No problems <laughs> with any of them. But he has been around football, so he should understand something. I mean, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. This is a risk. And I don't think anyone could go, yeah, they're definitely going to sort it out and get all the decisions right. But if they make more decisions right, we'll be in a better position. I don't think Definitely. there's miracle money here, and the Qataris wouldn't have done this anyway. I mean, the squad costs are all under UEFA Profit and Sustainability FFP updated rules. It's pretty tight. It's a bit more relaxed in the Premier League, but there isn't like a miracle here. Yeah, that, that equity that Ineos or Ratcliffe or Trawlers Limited are putting into the club, it could be, could go towards FFP. I don't think it will. I think what was it, well, I mean, it says it in the the SEC filings, it is it is earmarked for infrastructure development, so Old Trafford and Carrington. That doesn't count towards FFP anyway. They can put as much money, the owners, into that kind of thing as they want. Right? Yeah. So on, only 90 of up to 105 million over a three-year period can be counted towards the, the squad, and only in England. In Europe, it's a bit different, much tighter. So anyway, all to say, there isn't some kind of miracle thing that can happen with money here it just has to be better decision making right coach yeah. if they decide eric's the right coach great i think we all have a few doubts now don't we um it, and just get the right people around him to make the right kind of decisions on ins and outs in the squad to get us into the right position it's it sounds simple it's all a bit reductive isn't it when you put it like that but that's what every other club does yeah like what business in the world isn't governed by the efficiency of its recruitment right like that's just the the you get the people who are going to make the decisions if you get people who make good decisions in positions of power in organizations the organization flourishes if you empower those people to have an effect as it's it's very simple in principle of course what's difficult is especially in football is knowing who the right people are because success is pretty amorphous in football like we can be pretty sure with a very substantial body of evidence behind us that Alex Ferguson is the best football manager that there's ever been. And it's only because he did it over three generations in multiple different settings, in different leagues, in as football changed, he changed with it. Like he's the best. We know Alex Ferguson as an individual has a massive bearing, but you only know that for sure in retrospect. Right. We could say now Guardiola if you've got a bunch of money to spend and you're going to have a, a team of extremely mega elite footballers, Guardiola would be the best choice by an order of magnitude in the game. These decisions, even in football, even in players where there's so much data behind the kind of, uh, that could inform your decision-making cultural fit and just all kind of, personal factors interpersonal factors like all of these things make a huge difference to whether they'll be a success or not Jadon sancho like the idea that he would end up being the most disastrous signing out of all the disastrous signings that united have made 
given the way it's turned out. I don't I'm I don't mean that as a knock against him as a player or a person. I mean the way it's turned out. Nobody would have expected that. So these kinds of decisions are extraordinarily like you are no by no means guaranteed to no. get them right. What you want is to be on balance making better decisions than worse on the in the long run, right? You want to translate the the noise into clear signals and United have not done that very well. I mean, finding you should mention Sancho. Of course there were a few signals there. He he uh, stopped training at City and they were quite happy for him to leave. He was consistently late at Dortmund. He was booted out of the England squad because of apparently a poor attitude in training. And surprise, surprise, apparently had a poor attitude in training under Ten Hag. Now, whether the answer was to get absolutely draconian and ostracise him from the squad, I don't know. And I don't know what impact that's had on other players in the squad and whether they're supportive of that or not. But it's going to have a very substantial impact on United's ability to sell him, for sure, because now he has um, Mm. a reputation that's absolutely in the toilet. And for everybody involved... He needs to leave, clearly, for him personally, because he needs to get his career back on track. A very talented player who's now, unfortunately, had a few clubs and and a manager who just doesn't want to work with him. And so we're not going to get some miracle apology at this point. <laughs> Jason goes, OK, I'm really sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I noticed this week, just while we're talking on about Jaden Sancho, uh, there were some more social clips of him at a party. And generally speaking, that kind of thing doesn't bother me because it's out of context. He's, you know, he could be training really hard with the reserves and just went to a party with his mates. It's filmed, but it doesn't half wind fans up, that kind of thing. So but that's like, I mean, no, no, no. Do continue to do penance, person who's not allowed to do their job. Like, I mean, what what do people want of of footballers at that? Like, I know, I know. What's he supposed to do, man? Like, it, genuinely, what is he supposed to do? Like, I mean, he, I, has... he probably doesn't even drink either. And I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I have on plenty of occasions turned up at the office with a stinking hangover. Not fit to do my job properly. So. I mean, I pretty much quit drinking before I had any responsible jobs, so I've kind of got away with it. But yeah, in principle, absolutely. I mean, I turned up at some of my irresponsible jobs pretty badly. In fact, I once quit a job because me and you stayed up all night playing football manager. I um, mean, and there's a whole bunch of blokes listening to this going, yeah, sounds reasonable. <laughs> it was the 90s. That's all I'm going to say. The golden era for football and football manager, I might add. I've just been watching the Beckham, I was going to say documentary. I'm going to put documentary in very, very (laughs) big air air quotes because it is very evidently, absolutely categorically not a documentary, but it's a very, very enjoyable watch. And the 90s United stuff is almost painful to watch because, you know, when like, like, Listen, we are both in our forties, delete as appropriate between mid and late. And so there is a, a kind of overwhelming tendency to look back at one's youth with a sort of rose tinted sepia toned hue. But the thing is, when it comes to United, there is a real if we hadn't seen such riches thing that goes on when you watch clips of them, because they look good almost all the time. We used to get so annoyed when they lost four games a season. <laughs> I know. Just crazy. Anyway. When was the last season where United lost 14 games under Fergie? I don't know. Was there ever one? I mean, it would have been back in the 80s for sure. Late 80s. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the club is a, a pale shadow of what it was in the 1990s. And, and we may have posted record revenues now, but the only people who care about that are the Glazers because uh, they've been filling their pockets with all those revenues for years and years now. So not anymore. Not anymore. They won't be able to do that. I was picking, by the way, I, <coughs> excuse me. By the way, I was picking through the SEC again because I went through them on the last pod, but I really hadn't had. Yeah, this is what we're here for. This is what we want. We want the granular detail of SEC filings. This is the only podcast that does it. (laughs) Well, not quite actually anymore. But okay, uh, boo to the others. I know. I I started the trend. Everyone copied it. Yeah, (laughs) hundred percent. There are some gems in there. I've got to say. I mean, there's there's the main filing doc six k. But there's a bunch of other stuff on governance and the transfer agreement, transfer shares agreement, and the agreement between the Glazers. And there's some lovely little gems in there. So one of them I like. So Ineos or Trawlers Limited have say over any profits from shares or dividends that are paid out. But reasonable expenses for directors are allowed. So Joel and Avram coming in on their separate private jets will still be on the club's time. Not happy about that. Uh-uh. that's not good <laughs> uh, there's also a provision in there that limits the number of united states citizens appearing on the board and apparently something to do with people dug into this it's, it's something to do with the uh, foreign owners rule uh, so you have to have a certain amount of non-foreigners or foreigners on the on the board to be a foreign entity for tax purposes anyway it's like uh, but i was looking at that someone on twitter pointed out i was like is that right so digging through it the governance agreement is really specific, really specific uh, around who can transfer shares and to whom, right? And who needs what permission. So transfer meaning sale of shares, passing on, moving into a trust. What happens if Glazers get divorced? Uh, like, really, it's in there. And we can mm. only hope that the, these, their partners of these absolute bastards do the right thing in the end and divorce them for all they're worth. But there's provisions around that. Uh, Ratcliffe actually has more leeway again in the governance agreement, more leeway to transfer his his current B shares without converting to A to his descendants, but any family not more distant than a first cousin. So if he's got a grandparent, he can pass it on. Pro- probably unlikely given he's seventy. Yeah, you know. yeah, it would seem unlikely, that's something. But, I mean. <laughs> yeah, but yes, not more distant than the first cousin. Cousin, but for the Glazers, they need permission if it's anyone other than a lineal descendant of Malcolm Glazer. Yeah, uses those t- terms. It's yeah, it's succession in it? it. Oh, it is. It's really like clearly they're. Jim at some point said, by the way, don't trust these lads. Uh, like, put every provision <laughs> possible in here. So, I, I, by the way, on the yeah. last point, I got one thing wrong that Andy Green dropped me a line on email to say, yeah, you said this on the pod. Are you, re- are you sure you're right about that? Where I said fixed price at 33. It's not. It's 33 or above is the price at which the, the uh, Glazers can drag along Jim into another deal. Like, he's forced to, 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 uh, go for a full sale in the next three years or not but as i pointed could you, out the could last... you explain could you explain yeah, the implications yeah. of that the, the implications are if the glazers get an outside bid for the club for f- a full sale at 33 dollars they can say to ratcliffe you must also be part of this deal you must also right. bid or they can force him into selling his shares to the new bidder that's just so they have flexibility because nobody is going to buy the club 
full sail with Ratcliffe and all his many, many, many protections that are in this deal. Otherwise, yeah. but what in reality it means is the Glazer signalling between 18 months and three years' time, because there's uh, other, another checkpoint in 18 months, that they will sell. Uh, and Ratcliffe will buy because who is going to go above $33? It was way overpriced anyway. Right. As Ratcliffe right. himself like acknowledged during the process when he said this is not a rational, buying a football club is not a rational business decision. So anyways, just to say, th- these SEDC docs are good fun to read if you really want to, but there's there are some gems, very, very specific gems there to protect individuals in certain scenarios, which is quite amusing. So. I just really like the fact that Andy just emails you when you've made a mistake on the post. Like, what a fact checker to have at your disposal. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the two best minds in football finance, as far as Man United football finance, as far as I'm concerned, in that email exchange. Um, we've, got, we've got a few people who are out there now, like pointing out stuff and going through. I, I, I totally forget who it is. It was a, a chap who did a, a really brilliant, and I'm going to find the book mark now because he did a really good job. Um, uh, well, I can't remember it. I, I will look for it anyway. So there, there's another guy called Swedish Rumble who breaks down United's finances and governance. Of stuff. course, Muppeteers are doing a really good job on that too. And I will find the other guy who I kept replying to, and I posted his very long, entertaining thread in which he divided the Glazer family into bastards and super bastards, which had me chuckling quite a bit. <laughs> you can guess who amongst the Glazer siblings are each of those. And this is very boring. Ollie was right, Esquire, brackets, hostile. Ollie underscore was underscore right on Twitter. Did a great breakdown of the SEC filings. He is, by the looks of it, a contract lawyer. So much more qualified than I am to go and ana- analyse that stuff. But So yeah, there are a few people out there now breaking down this stuff. And I hope this whole community of people who either looks at the finances or contracts or what's going on with United continue to do this. In the Ratcliffe minority ownership to, I think, full ownership era as well, because his feet need to be held to the fire and he needs to be held accountable for what happens in this club. For too long, the club was hidden behind their New York Stock Exchange, Delaware registration and Cayman Islands registration for all its various companies and sub-companies, right? Which means there's mm-hmm. not a lot of transparency and it, that's not okay. In a, These are community assets, and we need more transparency. And uh, Trollers Limited being registered in the Isle of Man doesn't really give me a lot of confidence that they're going to be super transparent about their dealings either. No, I mean, listen, calling it Trollers Limited just need to be really honest about this. Fully works on me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it does exactly what it is intended to do to my brain, which is make me go... Oh, well, I mean, come on, it'll probably be all right. When they're called Trawlers <laughs> Limited, they, might, they get it, they get it. It'll be fine. As you can see on the YouTube over my right shoulder, maybe your left on the telly, but uh, yes, I have a couple of nods myself to that. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, it is basically like every third Twitter account from 2011 had the word trawler in it, didn't it? So yeah. this is, yeah, including some of the greats. Route um, one, but, but this, I like it. Yeah, it's yeah, and and you know the the it was super interesting to hear you talk about the breakdown of of how it's all like your confidence that this is a full sale. I mean, the deal doesn't really make any sense whatsoever if it's not. It, it's a very confusing thing to just be like, "Yep, yeah, we take twenty five percent 
pay loads and loads and loads of money for the privilege of running the football club. And if it goes as well as it possibly can, we benefit from a quarter of that. It's a weird, that's a very weird setup, isn't it? So It is. And there's two centres of power, which uh, having worked with a lot of senior executives over time, absolutely does not work. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's why I had a lot of scepticism. It's just there's such a lot of detail about who has control over what and who has what voting rights. Oh, uh, by the way, another another gem in the SEC filings, the Glazer parties, as one block is specified, there are a block, there's six of them, they are named, Edward, Brian, Darcy, Joel, Avram, and another one. I always forget one of them. Another one. Edward, Brian, Darcy, Joel, Avram, and some other can't, we can't, we don't care about Whatever. They are the Glazer parties. But within their block, and they obviously have they have 49 point something percent of the shares overall combined, but 70 percent of the vote right now, because they've always voted as block. They actually have a provision in there which in which the Glazer parties can vote within themselves to vote as a block. So in theory, four of the Glazers could outvote Avram and, and Joel and then against their wishes Sell to Trawlers Limited, it would be a new sales agreement. In theory, they've never once not voted together. Mm. Uh, so I don't expect it at all. But it's in there. So they've obviously at some point gone, ah, there's like, we need to put it under contract. And that's why I say when I say it's it's so specific and I have a little bit more confidence about the the bifurcation of power won't come to a really messy end, which it almost certainly would in any other scenario. Mm. Sorry, you just used the word bifurcated and Manchester United in the same sentence. You had warm, nostalgic feelings about that, did you? Yeah, uh, they're they're my friends. That's all I can say. Those people are my friends. Um, So it's hard not to be reasonably optimistic for better days because at least there is some form of change afoot. Now, what's also, I mean, I'm certainly no expert on this, but it seems very clear to me, big spending in January is out of the question because there just isn't there isn't the overhead in the not the budget as in the operating budget but the the ffp or whatever it is now budget is just the bank's completely tapped out because they spent untold fortunes on mostly the wrong players yeah yeah yeah. they tapped out the bank and then the credit card too sadly yeah so yes big spending seems very very unlikely unless there's a sale sale I mean, if they sold Varane and Casemiro to Saudi Arabia, which yeah. looks more likely next summer. So think, Saudi Pro League has changed the rules. So it's it's currently eight players you can have in the squad who are foreigners. Now it's moving to 10, so there'll be more space. Right. Uh, but I think it's from next season, not this. So it, it right. seems unlikely that Varane and Casemiro are, are heading off this winter. So it just seems unlikely United will do a lot of deals and it's more likely that they'll bring the new structure in and then they'll start looking at deals for the summer and that will be the first window under the the new regime. By the way, while we're talking about Saudi, El Etifak, Steven Gerrard's team, have uh, lost four on the bounce and then, then drew with the bottom team. So And they're mid-table, so they're under some pressure. And Steven Gerrard now in the 54th best league in the world, failing as a manager yet again. Makes you feel good just inside. Keep, just... Just keeping a little mental note of how Stephen Gerrard's getting on. 
Yeah. Like, yeah, Paul, yeah. Scholes, Paul Scholes needs to get a management job. I mean, I guess he had that Oldham job for like six days or whatever it was. That, that, that didn't go very well. But if somehow Scholes could be the best manager out of Gerard Lampard and Scholes, that would be absolutely ideal, even though he clearly doesn't actually want to do that. And who can blame him? Well, um, I mean, can Gerard keep his job in the Saudi Pro League long enough for Frank Lampard to join him there? Which it seems just inevitable, right? <laughs> he was the clearly one stays, one goes. So Gerard's got to go. Lampard's got to go arrive to take over. These are, these are the, I don't make the rules. This is just what happens. Where, where does goals on the left wing happen in Saudi <laughs> Pro League terms? Well, he won't go because he's too left wing for it. Right. So, um, we were at some point we've drifted dramatically from talking about the Nottingham Forest game. I was watching the whole thing thinking, Oh, I don't remember how to do this. I don't remember how you break down football matches. And then I realized, Oh no, it's not that I don't remember. It's that there's nothing meaningful to say about this football match. And it nice Marcus Rashford goal. I, I want to have a conversation about Marcus Rashford. How much have you talked about it on the podcast? How much have you talked about the, the scale of drop off? Well, I mean, quite a, quite a bit because it's it's so evident week to week. I mean, I think the challenge is that uh, no one I know or have heard from has uh, the answer as to why there's been that massive drop off. So in the in the two, so he's had he had brilliant season last season. The two seasons prior to that were pretty average, and and both mm-hmm. of those you had a kind of caveat. He had a foot injury, he had a shoulder injury, he was in and out of treatment, and you could go okay. Yeah, it was COVID and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It felt like there were a lot of caveats around his level of performance. And we were like, ah, now we've got the real Marcus back. Finally, injury free and and in the team every week and scoring goals. And now that looks like the blip, doesn't it? The goals was the blip. And now we've got Marcus back again, the inconsistent player. who can score what was a great goal today, first time past internet. That's a really high quality finish. Mm -hmm. Um, And he looked brighter again against uh last week against yeah uh, a couple of assistants Villa, Villa, yeah. right or was it a couple yeah. i don't know but at least one yeah. yeah and he just generally looked a bit more confident a bit more direct yeah. and then yeah today nothing again and ran off rubbing his groin so looks like he's pulled something and will be out for a while well he did the weird backflip as well it didn't look good did it i landed so. on his shoulder yeah 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 so, so it's very strange. It's just a very strange phenomenon because I find it really difficult to believe that the good Marcus Rashford is the blip because we've seen it. It's a cycle that's repeated itself numerous times and it, it would be an absolutely fascinating case study to understand really what the mechanics are of what's going on. I do. This is obviously completely speculative, but you do wonder a little bit like he always seemed to be very friendly with Jaden Sancho and you wonder whether like that, didn't do him any favors in terms of like his feeling around but but it's so it's it seems to just go to his decision making like that seems to be where confidence gets him the worst like it's and you can easily understand how it becomes a vicious cycle that kind of being an elite athlete under that level of pressure under that level of scrutiny minor miscues and mistakes are kind of treated with immediate jeers of derision and then like long reads and people yeah. on the internet talking about you and you know all of that kind of stuff like it's that's got to be brutal to be in in that loop um and it they just they just feel like there just feels like there's quite a lot of like quite sad human stories at united at the moment just like 
stuff of like people whose lives should be slightly going slightly better than they currently are for one reason or another well dave needs to give you a call and uh, paul marginal gains let's get these folks heads right (laughs) yeah man that's that honestly like looking at it from the outside it really looks like there's some of that stuff's needed some because because the game is so much in your head because Mourinho left and Solskjaer arrived and exactly the same players won the next three games, 5-1 or whatever it was. I mean, listen, they played very bad teams in those games, which definitely helped. But, you know, you, you, you get the, you get the vibes right and a lot goes right. Yeah, and yeah. you, you can understand as well, like to, to not be too wishy-washy about this, you can really understand why some discipline was needed too, some boundaries, the sense that the kind of, the the it's a bit of a free for all and there's loads of player factions and power brokers and all that stuff in the dressing room you do need a bit of old school mixed in with it all but yeah i'm not sure the balance is right from in my you know no no and and the reports that started coming out to suggest that as well that some of the players feel like the you know he's perhaps gone a, a bit didactic ten hag with uh, yeah the the way he is he's a technocrat he's not he hasn't got a lot of charisma and he can't fall back mm. on vibes so the the balances have to be right and and it doesn't seem to be translating entirely i mean one final thing to say about the forest game because forests aren't very good either by the way that's why they're right down the bottom of the table and just fired their manager mm. and when you think that nuno is the answer then things are not going right at your club and and and, and so like i think Forest got it right in terms of the tactics because they realise if they keep it quite tight at the back and break with speed, that is the way you beat United all of the time. Yeah. And it's happened so often. Yeah. Whereas Villa decided to play this high, high, high line and United were like, we're just going to get it forward quickly. And it worked over and I couldn't believe after it worked so many times in the first half and United hadn't finished it that they kept doing it. Yeah. And, and it was interesting, like perhaps the one occasion this season that that Ten Hag has made a really smart tactical decision and explained it afterwards in pushing the fullbacks further forward in order to create that overload in midfield so they could get the ball further forward was like the one time this season where he's made a big call like that wrong. And probably the one time this season that Unai Emery has been outthought in a game because he's got almost absolutely everything right at Villa. Whereas Ten Hag today made this absolutely baffling decision. I mean, again, I'm saying this without knowing whether Maynou came off injured or not, but yeah. absolutely baffling. Uh, and I think that, yeah, of course, that's the thing that everyone looks at this team and goes, how can, how can this, how can they be so inconsistent, all of them? And how can the manager be so inconsistent too? Well, tell you what's not inconsistent. Me being on this podcast twice a year without fail, whether we need it or not. <laughs> yes. I'll be back well, at the end of the season. We all need it. Uh, for one reason or another. Sorry you had to talk about a defeat. Oh, no, it's all right. I mean, plenty of experience doing that over the years. And honestly, it's just nice talking to you, Ed. Uh, I mean, if we toss the coin, one side of the coin saying, you like defeat, one side of the coin saying, maybe a win, maybe a draw this season. It's about 50-50, so... (laughs) Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I was genuinely slightly persuaded that it might be fun to watch this game by the last game. And then as soon as Rasmus wasn't in the starting eleven, you're like, ah, it's probably not going to be. It's probably going to just be another one of those where Anthony plays. Uh, that if, if I was doing this podcast regularly, and this is nothing to do with on-pitch stuff, off-pitch stuff. Oh, that might be a terrible Freudian slip. It is entirely to do with on-pitch stuff. 
my biggest agenda at the club would be Anthony. Like, God, he's dreadful. honestly so it genuinely shocking that he's played so many games for United. And I, I hear a lot like he works very hard off the ball and that's why Ten Hag likes him. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's every single person in the crowd would work really hard off the ball. And what we want is for the elite footballer to be really good with the ball at his feet, like especially the attackers. And uh yeah, he just isn't, right? Like it's not. And, and he's obviously a much, much better footballer than anyone else in the stadium who isn't on the pitch. Like to be at that level, you've got to be extraordinary. And he played, you know, he got picked for Brazil regularly. So there must be something that I'm not seeing, but my goodness, Tom in the, in the WhatsApp group, producer Tom, shout out to producer Tom, by the way, how met like the amount of awards that that man's won since he stopped doing his podcast. We were just really badly holding it back. <laughs> That's it. It's, it's like, it's like, United were holding Ronaldo back. He wasn't winning trophies. He's gone to Saudi Arabia and he's just piling them up every week. No, no, it's not. That's an unfair, an unfair comparison. This, this man's trophy cabinet is much fuller than United's. Yeah, exactly. Having said all that about all the awards he won, he also said, Anthony makes me long for Valencia, which I think is a very, very, very good summation of what it's like watching Anthony. Cause, I mean, there weren't many more frustrating United players than late period Valencia. But, uh, I mean, good Valencia would be an absolute dream. But, yeah, Anthony makes you long for kind of average Valencia at this point. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's gone out of fashion, obviously, getting to the byline and putting a cross in. But that never happens at United. Not a single player can do that, ever. No. So, no. Oh, well, on that cheery note, we've got Wigan next week. I'll probably be be back with a midweek pod where i can preview that fa cup game but uh, it's been great talking to you paul sorry you too, you had to come on you. for a defeat next That's time fine. next time we talk it may or may not involve discussion about eric ten Hag because he may or may not be in a job if he Absolutely. loses another five games in january he may well not be give it all till the end of the season that's my all right parting, parting gift thanks a lot for listening everyone bye everyone Before we leave, a little note. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash NQATpod where we do a weekly bonus show and have merch for higher tiers. Another way to back us is to go to your favorite podcast app of choice, write a review and leave a five-star rating, especially Apple, Spotify and YouTube. Thank you.